So can there be lasting peace in the Middle East, or will it only happen when Jesus, the Messiah, returns? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to our thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast today on the line of fire. At the bottom of the hour, I'm going to be joined by Messianic Jewish leader Jonathan Bernis. You see him on Jewish Voice broadcast as we talk about his new book, Lasting Peace, and ask if there can be true peace in the Middle East, lasting peace of any kind before Yeshua the Messiah returns. But if you have a question before then, 866-34-TRUTH, as long as it's Jewish related, Anything that falls in that big category, that works on a Thursday, 866-348-7884. A couple of things I want to say right up front. I'm right now doing a major updating and revision of my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. God moved on me very intensely, oh, let's see now, 27 years ago, more than 27 years ago, to write that book I was gripped to write that the church would feel the pain of the Jewish people through history, persecution Jews suffered at the hands of professing Christians, different things that have brought great pain and agony on the Jewish people, that the church would feel that. And by God's grace, this book has been translated into more languages than any book I have written. It's had a tremendous effect on many readers. Many have had a tremendous change of heart towards Israel through the book that blesses me deeply. Translators have been deeply moved while translating the book, and it's been continuously in print since 1992. But we are now in the process of doing a complete update on it. So I'm going through chapter after chapter, adding additional quotes, adding additional information, adding additional examples, removing things that may not be as relevant on a timely level and replacing them with something new, supplementing the material. Uh, That's due out, oh, probably late summer. But I'm reminded as I go through it that there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Issues I dealt with 25 years ago were issues that came up 50 years ago, 100 years ago. They just take different shape and form. Now that Israel's been in the land, Issues that came up 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Here they are, again, in different form. And one of the lies that I dealt with in the book was that today's Jews are not really Jews. They are Khazar converts. They are all pagan converts who then converted to Judaism, but they have no historic connection with the people of Israel. Now, of of course, even that statement, today's Jews are not really Jews. Well, Well, which Jews? Which Jews? There are millions of Jews, and they're Jews from different backgrounds. So the Khazar theory specifically ties in with Ashkenazi Jews, who have more of a European heritage. So those are the alleged ones that descend from the Khazars. That means that about 52% of Israeli Jews, Sephardic Jews, are, are not Ashkenazi. So that means over half of the Jews in Israel don't even fit that lie that they're not really Jews. 
but you just throw out the law anyway. And, and then we, we had a caller seemed very sincere. A gentleman called in last week and or before that and said, well, you know, there's scientific evidence, DNA and biblical, historical, geographical evidence that today's Jews are not really Jews. Again, meaning Ashkenazi Jews, but he made it for all Israeli Jews. And I said, well, listen, you seem sincere. We'll, we'll send you some references. We'll send you some specific references. And, and we did. We, I, I took, took a few minutes through my assistant, Dylan, and I said, okay, here are DNA studies that refute that Hazara theories. Here's an article with a lot of scholarly information. Here's a scholarly scientific article. Here's a book with detailed DNA information, etc. So we sent it to this gentleman. And he wrote back and said, it's all hearsay. Anybody could put anything on the internet. So I, now he seems sincere in terms of having questions, but what, what can we do beyond that? Are, are we going to go time travel? Is that how we're going to find out? We, we get in the time tunnel and go back in time and, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll videotape our time tunnel travel. Here we've got evidence on every level geographical evidence, linguistic evidence, scientific DNA evidence. And because it doesn't fit the theory, it gets rejected. But what's ironic is you can read something else on the internet that makes other claims and that you believe. So the stuff that agrees with the lie and the anti-Semitic notions, we believe that. But the stuff that doesn't, we dismiss. I mean, that's, that's rough. How can you then have meaningful communication? I actually noticed a comment on YouTube. Again, the standard thing, today's Jews, not really Jews, DNA proves it, et cetera. And for every thousand, 10,000 comments that come out on YouTube, I might personally respond to one or two or a team might. Otherwise, that's for people to have conversation back and forth. All right. But I happened, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to respond. I'm, I'm going to respond. So I, uh, I, I posted a link and said, here, here's a book. I thought, refer them to a whole book that'll give the whole story and explain why we're confident about certain things in terms of DNA evidence and tracing us back to the original Middle Eastern people of Israel. So I, I myself posted the link. The response, I'm going to buy a book. <laughs> so again, how, how can you help people if they're not willing to dig and study? 866-34-TRUTH. Before we go to the phones, let me just give you a little background. I had made a statement about DNA studies linking Jewish men today who claim to be of priestly descent. Most of them or many of them would have a last name with Cohen in it. I should say many, not most, but many. Cohen meaning Kohen. But some aren't sure, am I really a Kohen or not? I've heard it from family tradition, but we're not 100% sure. Others say, yeah, yeah, we're sure. We know it's been passed down and, and we've, we've been doing this. There's no temple standing. So they're not functioning as priests. And therefore, therefore, there is, there's less evidence that's been passed on because they're not as active doing actual work that they could say, yeah, my father, his father, and so on and so forth. And, and there are rabbinic traditions that, that go way back that say that there are disputes about this. And when Elijah comes as the forerunner of the Messiah, he'll, he'll settle these kinds of disputes. But there is a professor in Israel, not originally Israeli. Uh, his parents were Holocaust survivors from Poland, lived in Canada. Then he made Aliyah to Israel. His name is Karl Skorecki. 
And this professor began to think, because he himself was supposed to have priestly heritage, he began to think about this and said, okay, wait a second. If, in fact, we all go back to the same person, in other words, we're all descendants of Aaron, then across different segments of Judaism and Jewish people, so Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardic Jews, and those who are more religious, those who are less religious, but who believe that they're descendants of Aaron, they are Kohanim, right? Then you should be able to trace us all back. We should have a certain genetic marker that traces us all the way back to one person in the Middle East that would line up with roughly the time of Moses and Aaron. And it turns out that's the case. It's been verified. I'm looking at articles from the late 90s, articles from 2015. It's been studied. It's been verified. Now, we don't know. We don't. We obviously, we don't have Aaron's DNA. Obviously. No DNA studies are, are based on, okay, we've got the, the DNA of Abraham, or we've got the DNA of King Sargon of Akkad, or we've got the DNA of, of some Egyptian pharaoh. or so. No. Obviously not. But what you do is you trace things back and this common answer come back, back, back. It's like, okay, it starts here. All goes back to here about this time. And that lines up with Aaron. So you have that, in other words, lining up with that period of time with, with one common male descendant in the Middle East. That's A. Then B, all these different people in these disparate groups because the Jewish people scattered around the world and intermarried, etc. yet they still preserve this, this genetic marker, this DNA marker. So that's fascinating. Now, I had made the comment that this is not Africans. In other words, all these uh, alleged black uh, Hebrew Israelites and things like that, we, we know they're black Jews, just as they're white Jews, Chinese Jews. We, we understand all that through intermarriage and, and through our being scattered around the world. We understand that. But... I made the comment, no, these are not Africans. Well, I, I didn't mean that there is no African Jew that has this genetic marker. And someone pointed, I should have been more clear about that. Someone pointed out on YouTube that the Lemba tribe, so African Jews or African Israelites also share this. So that would also mean that their ancestors can be traced back to Aaron. And then again, through intermarriage, you have all of these different shapes, sizes, and forms of Jewish people around the world when others marry into Judaism. Because if, if Jews marry out, then they're lost to history. They're, they're Jewish. Uh, in terms of Jewishness, that's lost to history. But if people intermarry in, they convert to Judaism and marry in, and the Jewish people live in places long enough, then that's how you get all these different groups and peoples and shapes, forms, and sizes. Anyway, it's, it's, it's really interesting for those who want more details, uh, just look up Carl Skorecki, S-K-O-R-E-C-K-I, Carl Skorecki. He's at the Rambam Technion Medical Center, at least he, he was when he did these studies. He tested for two distinct Y chromosome markers, YAP, so Y-A-P, and DIS, D-Y-S-19, labeling it the one Cohen modal haplotype, a particular genetic marker on the Y chromosome, YAP dash, 
was detected in 98.5% of the Kohanim and in a significantly lower percentage of non-Kohanim Jews. So common Jewish descent, but remarkably, remarkably, 98.5% of those who identified as priests through the ages. Anyway, just wanted to share that information with you. Unfortunately, we've had to disable comments on a few YouTube videos just because of constant, vulgar, ugly, black Hebrew, Israelite, anti-Semitic comments, and zero of them with any, any substance in terms of scriptural truth or geographical, historical truth, just lies recirculated. And you quote the thing enough times, people think it's actually true. So thank God for the diversity among the people of Israel. We are white and black and brown and yellow. Red, red too. But going back to a common ancestry. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him come. And take from the waters of life. Thank you, thank you for joining us on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast as we hear Marty Getz inviting us to drink from the water of life. If you have a Jewish-related question, 866-34-TRUTH. If you missed last night's Real Messiah broadcast, we haven't been live for a couple of weeks for a few reasons, but we're back on last night with our Jewish Outreach Real Messiah broadcast. I spent the entire time on the phone with a young Orthodox Jewish man from Israel who called wanting to challenge me, very politely, but wanting to challenge me and felt I was misrepresenting Judaism, etc., you'll learn a lot about traditional thinking. He's not a rabbi. He's not an official spokesperson for the Jewish community. He was not a skilled countermissionary debater or anything like that. I don't want to mischaracterize, but he does represent a lot of traditional Jewish thinking and what he had to say. So you'll find that insightful. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Granger, Iowa. Monty, welcome to the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. appreciate your show as always. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment, but first of all, your question about peace and is you know in the Middle East until the Messiah comes seems biblically as if no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I read a book, and hopefully, I I don't have it with me, of course, since I'm on the road. But uh, if I remember correctly, it was a book, and the title was "The War That Never Ends." And I think, if I remember right, it was by a gentleman by the name of Lagardia. But there was a paragraph in that book that I thought summed up the whole book so accurately. And we had two families. One took his son up, looked across the valley, and he said, Son, that land over there has been promised to us, and Allah will give it to us. The other side of the valley, the father took the son up and looked across, and he said, Son, Yahweh has given us this land and has promised us to us. And when you have that type of generation thing, you you know, here in the United States, we think the Hatfield and McCoys was a feud. Well, that's nothing compared to what's been going on over there forever and ever. 
Yeah, and 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 Monty. But by, by the way, when I was just searching for the title of the war that never ends, you, you could be hundred percent right. I, I'm seeing references to Vietnam War books, but you could be right in your in your reference there. But yeah, it's it's even if it's not quite as simple as was stated there, it's a great picture. The roots of the conflict are deep, and and in Islamic thinking, not that the land of Israel, then called Palestine, was specifically promised to the Muslims the way it was promised to the people of Israel in the Bible. But once Islam expanded and then ruled over that territory, once Islam rules over something, that's it. That's sacrosanct to Islam. To lose it is then an open wound and an open sore. And of course, even though Jerusalem is never mentioned once in the Quran, it's the city from which Muhammad allegedly ascended to heaven, and it's called Al-Quds, the, the holy city. But really, Al-Quds is a shorter reference for that being the place where the holy temple once was, which is, of course, denied by current Palestinian propaganda. But yeah, Monty, it's a great point, and it's an illustration that really hits home in terms of how deep the conflict is. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to David in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the line of fire. Uh, thank you, Dr. Brown. Uh, I've been a pastor in the inner city of Fort Worth for 35 years. I'm a tongue-talking Southern Baptist, and I've been ordained into the National Baptist Ministry. But in 1996, I had a dream. I saw three faces, and I thought, and what? It, and, and it says, I'm a Jew. I'm the tribe. Of, your fathers are the tribe of Judah. Well, being a Southern Baptist, when I dreamed that, I said, man, I'm not telling that to nobody. I'll be right out of town with that. <laughs> and so, uh, but I wrote it down because I write all this stuff down. Well, I got my DNA back in 2018. I'm Irish, last name Donovan. And it said that your third great-grandfather was 100% Ashkenazi Jew. And I just bring that up from the standpoint of, all this light, this thing is coming against Ashkenazi Jews, saying that they're fake and they're not that. You know, um, I don't believe God does anything without a purpose, and I know there's a reason, a purpose that He gave that to me 25 years in advance, and that would come up now. It's just, it strengthens Isn't my that wild. Wow, yeah, that's that's yeah, that I mean, that is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> of course, it's not a scientific argument; it's a spiritual argument confirming scientific data from a few generations back. But, you know, the, the thing is the devil knows who the Jewish people are. And it was Ashkenazi Jews who were wiped out by, by Hitler and the Nazis in Europe. So the, the yes. devil knows who to target. And uh, wow, that, that is very interesting. I mean, you, you sound like Texan, Southern Baptist, tongue-talking Southern Baptist. Yeah, all, all the way. Fascinating. Very, very interesting. Hey, hey, one, one thing that that what, what great grandfather was it? Um, uh, third great grandfather. Okay, uh, where was he from? Do you know what part um, of the world? Ireland, as far as I knew. Ireland. Okay, got it. And one quick thing, uh, doctor, is in the dream when I woke up from it, uh, the Lord dealt with me about snow. It had something to do with snow. So when I got up, I looked in my Strong's Hebrew Concordance. I looked up the word snow, and it meant generations. Okay. I have, yeah, I have to figure what word you may have looked up there. Interesting. All right. Hey, David, I appreciate Hi. that very much. 866-348-7884.
That's that's interesting. All right, let's go to Aaron in Fort Myers, Florida. Hang on. There we go. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the line of fire. How you doing, Doctor Brown? Doing well, thank you. Um. All right. Uh, so I wanted to ask you a question about the millennial reign of Christ. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you believe that to be on Earth? Yes, sir. Sure. And then, um, are there verses in the Old Testament? Like, what what do you believe is going to be going on in the thousand-year millennial reign? Well, passages like Isaiah 11 will be fulfilled, a time of universal knowledge of God and no war. Passages like Isaiah 2, where the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and will come up to Jerusalem to learn from the God of Israel. Passages like Zechariah 14, where there's pilgrimage to worship the God of Israel by the Gentile nations and, and Israel as a... As a yeah, just uh, you're not going to be able to talk to me right now, but there's a lot of noise coming from your phone, so I, I'll just be able to talk to you here. Uh, so, uh, pilgrimage and, and worship, it could be that Ezekiel 40 through 48 are fulfilled at that time, and that there'll be a literal temple that's that's built. Uh, as for life, it seems that human beings will be multiplying. In in other words, that uh, this will not be the eternal age. The people of God. Uh, the church, believers in Jesus, will already be resurrected, but everyone else on the earth, there's a thousand-year reign, and, and we we co-reign with the Lord over the, the people on the earth, if I'm rightly understanding Scripture about being over five cities or ten cities, etc., uh, for those responsible. And and then uh, Isaiah, uh, end of a book of Isaiah, refers to things there about from one new moon to the next, one Sabbath to the next. It's, it seems that the biblical calendar will be kept you know, some would argue those are just metaphorical images and have spiritual meaning, and and I've read scholarly arguments for that, but I, I, I don't, I don't see how we can just make everything into spiritual imagery. And then, in addition to that, uh, it references someone dying a hundred years old be considered a you know a child, just like cursed to die that young. So obviously, longevity, or apparently longevity restored, and then human beings living lives, whatever else people do, going on. Uh, and then at the end of that, Satan's final release, where he then deceives multitudes. To me, that's God's way of finally vindicating his name, because here it is in a world where there's not injustice, where there's not sin and corruption the way it was uh, before the millennium, where the knowledge of God is, is universal, the knowledge of the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the seas, etc. And yet still, when Satan comes to deceive, multitudes say, yeah, we don't, we don't want God as our God, and they rebel. So that's as I understand things. And then we go into the eternal age. Hey, Aaron, thank you for the call. I, I would have brought you back on to interact, but we had we had too much noise coming from your phone there. All right, I've got time for another call. Uh, let's go to Belva in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Michael. Hello. Uh, I have, uh, yeah, I have uh, three comments to make, and I wanted you to comment on them. It's pertaining to the man uh, who called concerning um, Negro skin Mm -hmm. and uh, about questioning whether the Jews of today are the same as of the Bible. Yeah. Okay, so my comments are, um, what DNA has proved is that the purest bloodline, the purest bloodline is found in Africa, where those people do have Negro skin. Also, um, in the Bible, the King James Bible is stated, it 
states that Moses married a darker woman, meaning that he was dark himself. The woman was just darker than he was. Again, Negro skin or dark skin. Also, white skin and blue eyes are mutations. That came about not recently, but as far as, you know, way back where history began, blue eyes and white skin didn't even exist. That's a mutation. Why yeah, so, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the clock. I got 30 seconds to comment. Number one, no, there, there are a few scattered groups in Africa that have DNA that traces back to ancient Israel. But overwhelmingly, 99% of it is among those who identify as Jews today. So you're wrong on that. Number two, there's no such verse that says more, Moses married a darker woman. Doesn't exist in any Bible. Sorry, no, it's not there. Not there. I don't know what you're referring to in King James. Not there. And third, uh, shall I point out Lamentations referring to princes as being white, whiter than milk? No, I'm not going to get into that battle. But no, there have been light-skinned people for millennia and millennia. But the Israelis were not white. They're not black. They were somewhere in between. Thanks. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. It's Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. In a moment, I'm going to be joined by my guest, Messianic Jewish leader, author, TV host, Jonathan Burnus, to talk about his new book, A Lasting Peace, brand new book, A Lasting Peace. I just want to make one comment before I bring Jonathan onto the line with me. Right before the break, you heard, if you were listening, a call and the caller mentioned that in the King James Bible, it says that Moses married a darker woman, meaning he himself was dark, she was darker. And I said there's no such verse in the Bible, King James Version or any Bible. How do I know? Well, I know it. If, if someone says something that would have been that obvious and conspicuous, I would have seen it, I would have read it, I would have known it, it would have come up in discussion already. Well, just out of curiosity, I just searched King James Bible for the word darker. The word darker doesn't ever occur in any verse under any circumstance in the King James Bible by the way. So I, I just want to encourage you. Don't listen to myths and lies. People are pulling the wool over your eyes when they say today's Jews are not really Jews or Ashkenazi Jews have no connection to the ancient people of Israel. They're pulling the wool over your eyes or that all real Jews are black. They are pulling the wool over your eyes. Don't listen to them. All right. Plus, I could care less. Skin color is immaterial. That's not the issue to me. If Jesus was a Chinese man or a black man, if Moses was a, a Native American man, I'm talking about skin, you know, skin color, ethnicity, or if he was Caucasian, that if he was African, that doesn't matter. Whatever. That's not what I'm looking at. My only concern is just truth, accuracy. All right. What's happening in the Middle East today? What's happening in the Jewish world? Jonathan Burnus leads Jewish Voice broadcast. You've seen him on TV 
He's not only uh, an anointed author, but he's preached and traveled around the world and seen many Jewish people come to faith all around the world and is very active, by the way, in reaching out to various lost descendants of Israel in Africa. So, Jonathan, great to have you back on the line of fire with us. Thanks for joining us. Michael, thanks for having me on. That was that was very informative, by the way. I can listen to you teach all day. Oh, well, thanks, I man. I really can. Hey, what's, what's happening in the Jewish world in Africa? Before we get to your book and talk about a lasting peace, what, what are you involved with? What's happening there? Well, a lot, and it's really fascinating. So just I'll talk about a couple of different, maybe three different groups that we're working with. First of all, the Beta Israel community that's been recognized by the state of Israel as historically connected to the people of Israel. There's now 130,000 Ethiopian Jews living in Israel. Many people don't know that. Mm. Now, they're the kind of the bottom of the economic strata in Israel, uh, but they are uh, really assimilating well now into Israeli culture. And this is, a, I think, a fulfillment of Bible prophecy uh, where God promises that he would regather again the second time the remnant of Israel, and it specifically mentions the area that's today Ethiopia. Michael, the thing is that there's many uh, Beta Israel that have not yet made it to Israel, some because of, of absolute poverty, and they just haven't been able to leave the rural areas they're in and make it to uh, a place like Gondar or Addis Ababa where they can then register. Uh, but in other cases, they're, uh, they're Beta Israel that have converted either themselves or their parents or grandparents to Orthodox Christianity. In many cases, they're not true believers. They did it just to keep their little parcel of land so they could survive. And many of them were left behind, and we have the privilege to work with them uh, providing medical care and dental care and eye care. I'm talking about really impoverished people, and they want to go to Israel, and I believe that someday they'll have an opportunity. But right now we're trying to keep them alive. Many of them are coming to faith in uh, Jesus as their Messiah. But this is probably the most persecuted Jewish community in the world today. I've met in people that have been um, not only beat up but have been shot have had grenades thrown into their homes. I've seen the scars. I've met those that have lost family members because mm. of anti-Semitism, and uh, it's shocking. But it's a great opportunity, uh, and, and it's such a privilege to help these people, especially help them find their Messiah and the joy that I see on their faces, some of them weeping when I pray with them and our teams pray with wow. them. That's yeah, and, one and you, Yeah, you've done such an amazing work humanitarian level there obviously earn people's trust by demonstrating genuine love and interestingly when i was in israel in may and this counter missionary tried to start trouble with me and i got briefly arrested before they told me just you know go home you didn't do anything but uh, the the two gals that came to formally arrest me uh, one was was an ethiopian uh, jew so that that i got a kick out of as well but are they experiencing any racism in israel is there any prejudice or or they looked at as not legitimate Jews either because of their heritage or because their skin color. Uh, what are they experiencing there? I don't think it's an issue of legitimacy because <laughs> the majority of people in Israel came from countries where they were persecuted, illegitimate. Uh, it's really a melting pot. They do 
there is some discrimination because these people are impoverished. They come with nothing, mm. Michael. And then there's this resentment that uh, they have to live off the state. And um, people, uh, the, the Israelis have spent just huge sums of money, first of all, defending the country, huge military budget, defense budget. But then they've also assimilated over a million Russian-speaking Jews over the decades. And now the Ethiopians coming in have absolutely nothing. And there's, there is some discrimination, to be honest, just because I think of the economic uh, strata. And uh, the Russians uh, suffered the same thing before them, but now the Ethiopians are sort of at the bottom of the totem pole. Got in it, Israel. got it. And then what, what else? You, you mentioned a couple other things happening in, in Africa right now that you're involved with. Yeah, another group we're working with uh, are called the Lemba. And this is a very interesting, a very interesting group that now the ultra orthodox community is targeting for conversion to, to uh, orthodox Judaism. Uh, and what's so interesting is this is a group, maybe sixty, seventy thousand people in the bush of Zimbabwe, that have retained their identity as uh, members of the of the of the Israelite community. They don't even refer to Jewish. They predate that. And they claim to be uh, back from the uh, time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and not only descendants of Israel, but of the Kohanim. Yeah, so and they, they have some DNA confirmation on that, don't that's they? That's the thing that's so amazing. They have yep, DNA yep. confirmation that matches them with the Sephardic and Ashkenazi um, uh, uh, descendants of Levite, of, yep, of yep, Aaron. Yep. Yep. So they have the, the, the DNA proof. They also have customs that they've retained, like they have their own butchers, and they only eat meat that's been butchered according to Torah. Uh, that, that's been in their history for, 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 uh, for centuries. They circumcise their male children. Now, they really blew it here, Mike. They do it on the eighth year, and we're trying oh, really? to help them. Yeah. So it's uh, a, painful, a painful oral, uh, a, a mistaken oral transmission. Got but it. They're, they're shifting now, but they... But they, they, they faithfully have been circumcising their male children for generations. Uh, they don't intermarry, and they're isolated in the bush of Zimbabwe, and uh, now the DNA tests confirm they are, in fact, uh, Jews, as they've claimed. That's another group, and we're seeing thousands of them come to faith in Messiah, and uh, they're, they're on fire for the Lord. Signs, uh, wonders, miracles... Wow. We have over 100 congregations that have been established just through our ministry alone over the last seven years working with them. It's incredible. Amazing. Uh, and and yeah. why, why are they getting opposition, persecution from others in the Jewish community? Well, the, because, of, because of their growing faith in Yeshua. They, are, they were ignored. Here's the thing. They were ignored for, for, for decades. Mm. And now with the DNA confirmation and the work we're doing, among their community and the response to the gospel, now they're sending emissaries uh, from the Orthodox Jewish community, both in America and Israel, to wow. try to convert them to Orthodox Judaism. So now they're important all of a sudden. Mm. Yeah, but, but, you know, I, I, was, I was actually asked if some of my material, uh, answering Jewish objections to Jesus, some of that material could be used. Uh, it, it's Messianic Jewish Bible Institute doing work uh, among some of these different peoples in different parts of the world, but specifically in Africa, needing 
to be able to answer Jewish objections to Jesus. So here, here we go full cycle in, in the real battle for their souls. How, how utterly amazing. And you're right on the front lines with that. Right on yeah, the front Michael, lines. Michael, let me, let me just, just so you can pass the news on, we have built libraries. We have assembled libraries uh, and sent these libraries to the Lemba. We've sent one to the Ibu tribe uh, in Nigeria because yep. the same phenomenon, ultra-Orthodox, trying to convert them away from the Messiah, and we have sent all of your materials as part of this library. So they're being read by the Lumba, they're being read by the Ibu, they're being read by the Beta Israel. They all have your materials, and they need those materials, because many of them are being convinced that, that uh, Jesus is not the way, and so these materials are absolutely vital. Amazing. Wow, what a, what a privilege to team up together. Hey, we've got just a minute before the break, but you are as sober as I know in terms of someone that, that works around the world, knows the word well, but, but you don't get involved in all kinds of crazy speculation. And yet in your book, A Lasting Peace, you, you really see signs of, of the end of the age, don't you? I, I do, but I see signs that are often overlooked that are not, they're not apocalyptic as such. They're not veiled. They're very clear. When Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom has to, has to be proclaimed to every ethnos, to every people group, uh, and then the end will come. That's as black and white as you can get. And uh, we get to be part of that process. It's not talking about geopolitical boundaries. It's talking about reaching every people group, every tongue, and it's to the Jew first. I believe that that principle in Romans one sixteen is universal in every country. The gospel has to go to the Jew first and to every people group within that nation. And we get to be part of that, Mike. We get to be part of that incredible opportunity. And that's an end-time event that's often overlooked. Yeah, and what, what more important end-time event is there than this good news going throughout the whole world to the Jew first, also to the Gentile? The new book, A Lasting Peace by Jonathan Burnus. We'll dive into the contents when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire. My guest, Jonathan Burnus, his new book, A Lasting Peace. So, Jonathan, what should believers be thinking about the Middle East? How will your book help them sort things out so they're not just political spectators but have some kind of spiritual understanding? Well, that's a fantastic question. And the premise of the book, as something I weave through the book, is the situation in the Middle East is not a political issue, it's spiritual. And the call of the, of, of the Christian, the call of the believer, uh, as I understand it, although we're called to, to speak out and make our voices known, is to deal with things in the spiritual realm, with the weapons that God has given us. And they're not carnal, but they're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. And this is a spiritual battle there is so much propaganda and garbage out there about Israel 
and this growing tide against Israel. You know, this is all connected to anti-Semitism, which is nothing new. It's a systematic effort to, to destroy the Jewish people, and you can't disconnect the state of Israel from that fight. And I talk in the book about uh, taking the time to look beyond the propaganda and to find out what's really going on there and understand the, the, the history and uh, what's led to the current situation. And so I tried to, uh, to write a very readable but thorough enough book to help Christians understand what's going on there and why it's important to us, why it should matter for Christians and what we can do about it based on the calling that every Christian has. So, so b- before we get to the question of what we can do about the situation in the Middle East, give me an example of some of the propaganda that we're dealing with. Yeah, uh, and, and this has permeated uh, the, college, the college campus, sadly. Uh, the whole BDS movement is an example of this, uh, which is the boycott, divestment, sanction movement that creates a completely false history uh, to Israel. You know, the whole idea that this was land seized from the Palestinian people. Well, there never was a Palestinian people. And the the land was, uh, in 1948, uh, when Israel became uh, a state, again, a restored state in 1967, when Jerusalem was taken back after the Six-Day War, Israel was not fighting against Palestinians. They were fighting against Jordanians and Syrians and Egyptians. These are just a, a, it's a complete rewrite of history. Mm-hmm. I touch on it in the book. I, I tried to do it in a simple way, but this is absolute propaganda. Moral equivalency is, is absolutely nonsense that, uh, that Israelis and Palestinians are, are, are treating this whole conflict the same way. Look, Michael, you and I are in complete agreement. Not everything Israel does is right. They're not Mm -hmm. a sanctified nation. They make a lot of mistakes, but God has given them a land grant, and the reality is that God has given them this land as an eternal possession, and they're not the Goliath that's beating down the Palestinians. There's a completely different worldview. Uh, that I talk about in the book between the leaders of the Palestinians, Hamas, uh, the, uh, when you look at Hezbollah, uh, it's a completely different uh, worldview than the Israeli government. You know, one's, one is uh, shielding themselves with, with innocent civilians uh, and targeting innocent civilians uh, to, to kill and the other is, is, is makes a great effort, and I'm talking about the, the IDF now, the Israeli army, is very, very systematic and careful at trying to, to, uh, to preserve and protect the civilian population. What you see on, on the, the news outlets, the majority of news outlets, is so much propaganda that uh, creates this, this, this animosity towards the state of Israel, and it's demonic, again spiritual at its root. All right, so when, when we recognize this, again, God cares about, about everyone. Uh, most Israelis, the vast majority, are not believers. A lot of the state is secular. The very religious Jews hotly oppose the Messianic Jews. 
So we're not trying to glorify Israel or to demonize all Palestinians. The Palestinians have really been hurt by their leaders, and there's a lot of corruption in their leaders, and then radical Islam among many of the leaders. So we're just trying to lay things on the table. But a lot of Christians look at this, and believers say, well, what, what can I do? It's so crazy. I'm going to just pray for Jesus' return. I guess that's all we can do because it's, it's not going to be peace before then. Is, is that an overly simplistic viewpoint? Is, is there more that we can do that you lay out in your book, A Lasting Peace? I, I do. Uh, and um, I, I really believe in a lasting peace, but I don't believe it's in an, in an accord or document agreement, it's in a person. Mm-hmm. And we've experienced together being in Israel and, and, and seeing harmony, experiencing harmony and peace and unity between Israeli and Palestinian, Jew and Arab, through the Messiah. Uh, and I, I want to make this statement, and I try to say this in every interview, God does not love the Jewish people more than he loves the Arabs. He doesn't love Israelis more than he loves Palestinians. This is about God's sovereignty and and uh, in his in his plan for the redemption of the world, he chose an individual named Abraham, and uh, decreed that through him and his offspring, uh, the world would be blessed. That ultimate blessing is the Messiah, and we get to carry on, uh, or or Christians get to carry on that call by through the ingrafting into the olive tree. And Michael, we have the only solution to the problems in the Middle East, the only solution to the problems the world faces in his name is Jesus, Yeshua. The proclamation of the gospel transforms lives. We know... Yes, so so you're, you're saying that even now, as we look at the political conflicts and the deep rooted conflicts and radical Islam's intentions and the fragile nature of whatever peace accord Israel has, say, with Egypt or some other nations. As we look at that, as we know ultimately that final peace only comes when the Messiah returns, that, that there is a true and lasting peace that can come to individuals through the gospel, and that as followers of Jesus, we should all be ministers of reconciliation. Yeah, that's, that, I should have quoted you in the book. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. The proclamation of the gospel and prayer and intercession for the shalom of Jerusalem. That word shalom means more than peace. It means completion. To bring to completion God's destiny for this land and this people, it's ultimately the opening of the blind eyes of Jew and Arab alike to find Messiah, to find inner peace and destiny and then everything changes. I've seen former terrorists that have come to faith in Jesus loving Israel, loving the Jewish people sincerely. That, that's the only way that a militant uh, member of the Islamic community is going to change their views by being changed from the inside out by the living God. That's it. That's how it works. And we can pray that into existence. I believe we can pull down strongholds, Mike. I, I believe God has given us that authority and that power. Mm. But we have to understand the situation. We have to understand what we've been called to and the authority that we truly have. You know, when, when you mentioned former terrorists, I was 
ministering at a, an apologetics conference, and one of the speakers there was a former radical Muslim from Egypt who's been a passionate believer for years and a great lover of Israel. And he's more pro-Israel than you and I are. He, he's more <laughs> in, in love with our people. And, you know, he was telling me he was on a flight sitting next to a rabbi from Israel, and I began to talk, and the rabbi said, you know, who are you? He said, well, I used to kill, I used to kill Jews. That's, that's how the guy starts, you know, and then begins to pour out his heart of great love. So this, this miracle that happens in individuals, if it happens on a wider level, and, and it happens in answer to our prayer, then, then we can see perhaps a growing peace in the midst of political chaos and conflict before the final peace of the Messiah. Friends, the new book by Jonathan Burnus, if you don't know how to spell his name, B-E-R-N-I-S, A Lasting Peace. Uh, get a copy. You'll be edified. You'll be informed. It'll, it'll help you to see clearly. One thing with Jonathan, he's a clear, biblically-based, spiritual thinker. So you won't get all kinds of strange mumbo-jumbo. You'll get clear thinking. It'll help you to pray with clarity and to pray with faith. And Jonathan, if folks want to connect with your ministry, what's the best place to go? Yeah, we, our website is uh, uh, simply jewishvoice.org. 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 Uh, keep leading the way, man. You're doing an awesome job, and look forward to seeing you again face-to-face soon. Thanks, Michael. You too. God bless. God bless. 866-34. Why am I giving out the number? We got 30 seconds to go. I just have it. As I got off one call, I was giving out the number for the next call, but we're out of time. Here's the good news. Here's the great news. Here's the amazing news. Tomorrow, God willing, Friday that follows Thirdly Jewish Thursday, that means you've got questions, we've got answers. So the phones will be open. That's it. From the beginning of the show to the end, I'll be taking your calls. Any subject under the sun, let's do it. All right, back with you tomorrow.